Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Thank you so much for this beautiful morning, uh, for this opportunity to come and open up your word, Lord. Uh, What a gift. Um, it is to us to be able to read in it about your gift to us of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we read about uh, some of his birth and, and some of the events around that and the fulfillment of prophecy, Lord, I just thank you for that. Open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive the good seed. Lord, help us to and prepare us to be the soil that is able to receive it so that it take roots, takes root in our life. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen a movie, and right at the beginning, there's a, 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 right on the screen, it says, based on true events. Ever seen a movie like that? And, And so you watch it, and you're thinking, okay, this is based on true events. And as you watch it, you begin to just really love the movie. Maybe it's inspiring and action packed. You're just like on the, the, edge of your seat watching this, and you love it so much that when it's over with, you're like, man, I got to watch that again, and you're just amazed based on true events. You're amazed, and maybe it's a movie that you watch now every year. You just love it so much, you just watch it every year. It's based on true events. It's a true story. I watch this every year. I love this story, and then one year, you decide, you know what, because you know, you're sitting there now with your phone, as everybody is, you're sitting and watching TV, and one thought pops in your head, I'm like, I'm going to look that up right now. And you look it up, and what you find is the character that you love so much in that movie isn't actually a real character, but a compilation of maybe several characters that the writers of the movie said, I'm going to take all of the the characteristics of these three or four people and put them into this one character, and then he's going to be the main character. The story is still true, but maybe some of the details have been changed or or rewritten. Um, And maybe when you find that out, you're like, oh, man, that main character that I used to believe in so much isn't really the one that I thought or who I thought it was, and you feel a little let down, maybe, or, or maybe a little betrayed, maybe even lied to a little bit. But then you think about it and you say, but I really do love this movie. The story is so good, and that's not going to prevent me from watching it. But you have kind of a new understanding about that story. Did that ever happened to you? That's today in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Because what we're talking about is the wise men here. So um, let's talk a little bit about the wise men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some information today that um, maybe you didn't know. Um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you understand some truths and maybe some misconceptions about the wise men and the birth of Jesus. And, and maybe it's going to be different than what you've always believed to be true But I'm hoping that at the end of it, you're going to come away loving this story even more than you did when you maybe came in here. Um, So let's just look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Pretty familiar? 
you're, you're probably already in your mind picturing the scene, the three guys on camels going through the night, following a star. In the background is a manger. Maybe that was even your Christmas card this year. But you know what? None of that is true. Well, all right. There were probably camels. See, the thing is, we have this image, this, this, this traditional picture in our mind of what this was. Here, here's, there, we're going to ask some questions. We're going to answer some questions today. Who were these wise men? How did they come to know about Jesus? Why did they even bother to make this journey to come and see him? So let me first dispel a couple of misconceptions. Three wise men. First of all, the wise men, it's a word. It means magi or um, wise men. Really, it's just, it's a really good word. To, that means uh, a, a, a consultant to the king, possibly uh, someone who maybe uh, would look into, some people believe, astrological charts, uh, but they were able to come up with information and kind of help and direct the king, maybe in some mystical ways. That was kind of the idea of the wise man or the magi. Um, but we, in, in our tradition, and it has been for a long time, have always just assumed it's three wise men. Three wise men. Even sometimes it says the three kings. There's a song, we three kings of Orient, right? Three kings. But they weren't kings. They were consultants to the king. They were wise men. But were there three? Why do you think that we think there are three wise men? Three gifts. We think there was gold, there was frankincense, and there was myrrh. And each, they come in, they've each got one gift. They've been assigned a gift. Everyone's like, I'm the gold wise man. And the other one's like, oh, I'm the frankincense. And the poor guy who gets myrrh. <laughs> myrrh. You know, myrrh, they would use it to embalm people. It's like, ah, here's gold for the king. And here's frankincense. And, oh, at the birth of your son, here's the stuff that they'll use to embalm him when he dies. Myrrh. See, the thing is, when, when people came to visit royalty, and, and throughout the Bible, you can see this, when the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, she brought gold and spices and valuable things to offer as a gift. So these men, however many there were, were coming to offer gifts to a king. And so it's very likely that they each had things like gold and spices and frankincense and, and myrrh because it was a costly spice. And so it's not that each one was assigned one gift, as we so often attribute in almost every situation that you see talking about the three wise men. One's got gold. One's, I'm the frankincense guy. It's my thing. And myrrh. But rather, they brought these gifts, however many there were. Now, it's actually super unlikely that even if there were three, let's just pretend there were three. Just because, you know what? I don't want to strip away all of it for you, but let's, let's say there were three. There's no way that it would have been three single guys on camels coming across the desert for four or five months, which is what the length of time it would take to go this distance, right? It's very likely that these guys would come with their servants and with their pack mules and their camels and tents and all their supplies, plus all the things. It was like a huge entourage of people, even for just three guys, if that were the case. It was probably more like 40 coming across the desert to come and see this newborn king with all of their servants and all of their gear and all this stuff. It was a bit in a huge kind of caravan or group coming across the desert. All right, start, start to picture this in your mind. These are important things to think about. The star. Did they follow the star? 
Raise your hand if you think it's somewhere in the Bible, it says that they followed a star. A couple brave souls, good. It actually says that they saw a star. It says, we saw the star in the east. Now, that actually means that they were in the east when they saw the star. And what they're saying is, we saw a bright light in the sky that indicated to us the moment that this prophesied child king would be born. We saw that. We saw the light. And then they head out. Now we have, maybe you're, you're like me and I've always thought, okay, they saw the star and they were like, okay, let's go. And they had their packs ready and they got on their camel like that moment and left. But that amount of people getting together and saying, okay, it's time to go, probably took them a substantial number of days to get that all together and then to head out. So you remember, it's like a four or five month journey Plus, I don't know however long it took them to pack that all up and get all together and get these people and leave. We don't know how long it took for them to see a light in the sky announcing the birth of Jesus, the king, and for them to head out. What was the star? I want to make sure I'm not jumping ahead of myself here. There's so much conjecture and speculation about the star. Well, it's a... You know, it was a star that was always there, and they were always having their eye on it. Or it was a supernova, a planet exploding in the universe and creating this very bright light. Or it was a comet that shot across the sky. Maybe, but this is what I think. And again, you don't have to go along with me like this. You're perfectly welcome to sit there wrong in your convictions. (laughs) This is what I think. They saw the light in the sky very brightly because they saw it from a long ways away. At the moment of the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophesied king, is there somewhere else in this Christmas story that we hear of a very bright light in the sky announcing the birth of Jesus Christ? Do you remember? Anybody remember? What about the shepherds? The shepherds were in their field, and it says the angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around the angel in that moment saying, this day Jesus is born, this day, a light so bright that they fell down afraid because the angel was like, don't be afraid, but it was so bright. Is there another place that we see the glory of the Lord shining so brightly in the Bible? Can you think of another place not related to the Christmas story? Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Remember that? Paul literally says it was noon and the light shone brighter than the sun in the middle of the day, so bright that it knocked me down to the ground and everyone with me. He says that in 2 Corinthians. Now, here's the thing. Like, I believe that this glory of the Lord light shines for the shepherds and these wise men see it from the distance and know this is the day that he was born. Now, what happens with the shepherds? The light goes away when he's done, right? When they're done making that announcement, the light goes, and they're like, well, we should go and see this thing right now. And the shepherds go, as do I believe the wise men make that decision. We need to go. Now, did they follow that light? I don't think so. I think the light was gone until much later. We're going to see evidence in there. But when Herod says, go and find this baby, it says that they leave Herod and they go out. And it says that the light then shone above the place where Jesus was. And they rejoiced greatly for seeing it because they had seen it since they left. If they were following a star from the east that was going to lead them right to Jesus, why would they have gone to Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem? Because they just went to 
where they supposed a king would be. Where would the king be? In the palace in Jerusalem. That's where they went. Does that make sense? So everybody's thinking, it was the glory of the Lord. <laughs> I, might, I might have gotten off track a little. Hang on. Let's see. <laughs> the idea that the, uh, the, the wise men were at this manger um, in this little barn um, is also probably very untrue. And you know what? I, I'm sorry to, to break it to you. If you've got a nativity scene that has wise men in it, when you put it out next year, because you know, you, you've, you've all just put it away, I'm sure. Um, but when you put it out next year, put out your Jesus and your, your Mary and your Joseph and the, and the shepherds and maybe your cow and your sheep and your chicken and whatever else comes with it. And then take your three, go out and get three or four more sets, collect up the wise men, and then put them as far away in your house as you can find and set them like on the bureau in your, and to try, to try to demonstrate that they did not show up on the night of Jesus's birth. There's no way they could have actually. It would have been months, maybe up to two years later that they showed up. We're going to see clues here. Jesus is referred to no longer as a baby, but as a little child. We're going to see clues. We see clues in the story that when... Um, not in this gospel, but in Luke's gospel, it says that after the days of Mary's purification, 40 days, 40 days, she had to wait before she could go to the temple and they could dedicate Jesus. 40 days, right? Also, they go to the temple to make an offering, which was required when you had a newborn son, especially you were required to offer a lamb. And if you couldn't afford a lamb, if you didn't have the money to buy a lamb, you were allowed to offer two turtle doves, which everybody was going to be able to afford, right? And that's what it says Joseph was able to afford was two turtle doves. Um, Had the wise men been at the manger the night of his birth, what did they now have? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They would have been able to afford a lamb had the wise men been there the night of, 40 days later when they went to the temple. But they didn't have the money. They didn't have the gold because the wise men hadn't arrived. We're going to see here also that Herod's going to decree that every child two years old and younger from Bethlehem be murdered. Because he says, he inquires of the wise men, when, when did you see this star? Based on that, he determines, because frankly, Herod was a genius, this particular one. He knew that it meant that Jesus, this, this king that was born, could have been up to, by this time, two years old. <sighs> oh, sorry, but it's, gonna be, it's still good. It's so great. You're going to love this. Where did these guys come from? Who were these wise men? So you often, and you hear like, well, one was from India, and one was from Angola, and one was from India. You like this idea that they just, somehow, these three wise men from three different regions were able to get together, study the same charts, come up with the same date. Then when it happened, communicate with, maybe they were all just having a big sleepover that night coincidentally, and they're like, oh, look, hey, the star, we should go right now, and let's get our camels and go. I mean, it sounds like a joke to say it, but that must have been how it happened if that's how we imagine it. They must have been, like, how would they get word to each other? This is what I think. You don't have to agree with me. 
But maybe you don't remember the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel? It was a Hebrew teenager boy that was taken into captivity along with the rest of his people. And he and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were taken into the service of the king um, because they had certain abilities. They were smart. They were good looking. There's so few of us still. But. <laughs> but they were taken into the service to be trained to be servants of the king. Well, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he's so upset by the dream that he calls together all of his magi, he says. And he says, tell me what my dream meant. And they said, yes, sir, king, live forever. Tell us what the dream was. We'll tell you what it meant. And he goes, oh, no. Tell me what the dream was first, then tell me what it meant. Then I'll know you're telling me the truth. And they're like, oh, what you ask is, is impossible, king. You have to tell us the dream first. And he says, no. And in fact, if you can't tell me what my dream was, I'm going to cut you and your family all into pieces. <laughs> Yikes. So it makes you rethink your career choices at that moment. And so Daniel, being one of these, now uh, being included into this, is kind of, at, kind of at stake here. And so he goes home and he prays, and the Lord gives him the vision of the dream and the interpretation. So he's able to go in. And, you know, that's the dream that he had, Nebuchadnezzar had, about the statue gold and bronze, silver and bronze and iron and clay. Um, about the kingdoms to come and all of that. And Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed with Daniel that he makes him head of the province and the chief magi. Daniel is the chief magi. Now, if you read through Daniel, you'll see that he actually never loses that position. In fact, he keeps being elevated. When, when the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians, Darius also puts him as one of the three governors in charge of all the satraps, in charge of all of the wise men. So Daniel is in charge, and then he demonstrates himself to be the wisest of all of them. And so here you have a man, Daniel, who is a God-fearing Jew in this area of the East, who reads scripture because we know he says, I was sitting there in my room and I was reading the book of Jeremiah. Then we know that he gets a visit from an angel who gives him the vision of the coming of the Messiah and the timeline of when he's going to arrive. This Daniel, actually, you know, he never leaves Persia. Even when the Jews go back to build the temple, Daniel stays. In fact, Josephus, this first century historian, writes that Daniel was buried next to the kings of Persia. He was so highly regarded, still there. This Daniel, the one who's in charge of all of the magi, of all the wise men, probably, and this is my opinion, was educating them not in astrological charts, but in scripture and prophecy. But these three magi, probably number one, were from this school of Daniel. They might have even considered themselves Jews, waiting for the return of or the birth of the king that was prophesied. And so they know the scriptures. They see the star. They say, he's born. Let's go and why would a pagan king from some other nation who is an astrologer go and worship a Jewish baby born in a Jewish country? Why? Why? You ever ask yourself when you're thinking about the three kings and the guys that you know, are all like looking like from their different regions, would you ever ask yourself, why would they go? Why would they go? Why did these guys go? 
They went to worship. That's what it says. We've come to worship him. Where is he? We want to worship him. They get to where he is. What the first thing they do? They fall down and they worship him. Whatever it is that they had read, and you know what? You probably can read it too because you have the book of Jeremiah in your Bible. You can read that and say, they came, they read this, they believed of who it was that he said, was said of him. They believed it and they came to worship. They did not need to see that he had been born to believe that it was so. They believed it. They did not have to see miracles or majestic acts to believe that he was the king that was foretold. They believed what they had read. They believed it. They believed it so much so that they upped their lives, probably at great expense, and traveled across the desert for four months to just go and worship. Can you imagine their friends and their family and their acquaintances like, you're, you're doing what now? You're going to do what? You're going for on a four-month trek to go and worship a baby? You're crazy. What you believe is crazy. That sound familiar? It should sound familiar to some of you. Are you living out your faith? Do you believe it so much so? When you read the Bible, do you have an exciting an excited expectation of what it says, so much so that when your friends or family or acquaintances look at your life, they're like, you're crazy. You go to church every week, even when it's 45 degrees. (laughs) You're in a, what is that, a small group? You go to someone's house and you drink coffee, you talk about the Bible, that's crazy. But who do they call? when they need prayer, the crazy one. They call the crazy one. So I I gotta call my crazy friend Denise because she will pray with me. (sighs) They simply believed what they read and it caused them to act in a way that may have seemed crazy, but it was life-changing. They had this big group of people, imagine, with them, right? Again, not three, you know, not three guys on camels <laughs> riding through the desert. Their entourage is with them in the process, right? Here's the thing. This, I just thought of this the other night, and I thought, man, all of this entourage went with them to see the king, then to Bethlehem to see Jesus and witness the worship of these guys before a baby, everyone in their entourage was affected and benefited from their crazy faith. You think you're not having some kind of impact on the people around you in your life? You are. They're watching. They're watching. When you lose your temper, they're watching. When you have a fish sticker on the back of your car and you cut somebody off, that person's watching. And they're like, nice, nice. When you don't lose your mind in a stressful situation because you have a hope that's greater than what you know, what you can uh, have in, in, in your, you know what I'm saying. They're watching. Why are you not freaking out, they think. Why are you not freaking out? I'm completely stressed out. Why aren't you stressed out? The Bible says, be ready. To give an answer in season and out of season for the hope that lies within you. Amen. Be ready. Because they're watching. I wonder whatever became, we don't actually know what became of the wise men. They went back, praising God. 
They went back with their whole entourage, praising God. Now, you know what? There are, um, in Germany, you can go to the city of Cologne, and you can go to this cathedral that was set up by uh, Augustine's mother. She set up a lot of religious sites around the world, if you don't know that. One of them is this cathedral that you can go in and see encased in this gold crypt the skulls of the three kings. The skulls of the three kings. Ew. <laughs> but no. Is it the skulls of the three kings? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Probably not. You know, these, these guys, they didn't come to see Jesus because of what they could get from him. They came to worship him. You know, they expected to find this newborn king in a palace. That's why they went to Jerusalem. When he turned out to be not what they expected, it did not prevent them from worshiping him still. They had expectations of who this was supposed to be, and he, he didn't actually live up to those expectations, but that did not turn them away. They didn't look at this baby, uh, this child now in this house, which couldn't have been a very impressive house, and they didn't look at that and say, what, the, this, this is the, because, you know, he's running around. This is the king that was foretold. This is the house that he's from. You know, we, you know what? This is not what we expected. We're out of here. In fact, what they said is, we believe what we read. This is what we read. We change our expectations so that this is real, not what we thought, but what we think is different. This is the truth. So, Maybe you have expectations of who God is or who God should be. Maybe those expectations cause you to doubt. Why would God, why would a God of love allow this or that to happen? The, the Magi, they could have shown up, they could have been completely disappointed and unsatisfied. But they held on to and believed what they had read about him, that it was true even though it didn't meet their expectations, and they were blessed by it. And maybe God isn't what you expected, but maybe what you expected is off of what the truth is about God. Are you willing to change your expectations to line them up with what the Word of God says rather than try and take the Word of God and make it fit into what you want it to be? That's the question, isn't it? Well, we didn't get very far. Let's see. In verse 2, the star, the east, I already talked about that. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem. Okay, so there's a few Herods in the Bible. I just want to clear this up. There's four that we read about in the Gospels, four Herods. This is Herod the Great, the first one, Herod the Great. And you have to know, the Great was a title he gave himself. So that should be a first sign to you. If anybody, you know, that gives themselves the title of the great, they're probably trying to make up for some shortfall. In fact, Herod the Great was only four foot 11. <laughs> Pretty, you know, I'm Herod the Great. And you're like, really? <laughs> but by all accounts, he was a genius. 
very smart, very uh, good leader in the sense of what leaders do. He built many, many amazing buildings, including remodeling the temple there in Jerusalem. After it had been built, he remodeled it to be this beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. But the problem was he did it at the, the, at, through the taxes that he levied against the people. So on one hand, they really loved him because he accomplished a lot of great things. But on the other hand, they didn't like him at all. In fact, they hated him because he would do things like tax them. Oh, and he was also br- brutal and cruel and paranoid. He was so paranoid about someone taking his position as king that at one point he thought that his wife, whom he loved, and some of his sons were plotting against him. He had them all murdered because he was afraid that they were trying to dethrone him. In fact, he was so brutal that it was said of him that it was better to be one of his hogs than one of his sons. He's less likely to kill you if you were one of his pigs than you were one of his sons. This is... Herod the Great. And so the wise men come. Imagine now this wise men, these wise men and their entourage ride in Jerusalem. And now in my mind, I'm thinking about Aladdin. Dun, dun, dun. They all come, you know, that whole parade scene where they all come in and the gates fly open and in comes this monkeys and jugglers and all this stuff. And, and they come riding in and there's like a big commotion, you know, and they're able to get an audience with the king and they come in and they're like, we're here to see the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, I thought I was the king of the Jews. And now he's really, well, on guard and probably very upset. Because it says that he heard he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Like, why would all of Jerusalem be troubled? Because Herod was troubled. You did not know what this guy was going to do. And clearly there was reason to believe, as we see pretty soon, there was reason to be troubled. There. These wise men, their entourage, they come riding into Jerusalem. They get an audience with the king. You hear that the king is troubled because there's a new king that's just been born. Um, They don't know where he's at exactly. Uh, And all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And they were worried, and they should have been. And so when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, of the people together, he inquired. It's just a really, that's inquired is kind of a, a softened word of, he commanded to know of them where the Christ was to be born. He wanted to know what is this prophecy that they're talking about, about this king of the Jews who's going to be born. And he calls in the chief priests and the scribes, the people who would know the word better than anybody else in the entire at least city and probably that whole region would be the chief priests and the scribes. These are the ones who taught the law. They knew the law. He calls them in and he says to them, tell me about this. Where is this Christ to be born? And so look at verse five. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written and prophesied, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right. They knew this. See, he said, where is this baby that's going to be king? Where was he supposed to be born? And they said, oh, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, uh, is about six miles away from Jerusalem. Six miles, not far. They said, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. At least that's what the prophecy says here um, in Micah. I'm wondering, 
these are the guys, you know, that like know the word, they teach the word, they write it down, they copy it, they distribute it to other people, they know the word. I'm wondering why these guys didn't also already go to Bethlehem to try and find this prophesied ruler on their own. Why didn't they go before this moment? And even more telling what we're going to see here is, why didn't they go after? So I guess you could say, well, they didn't really know. Maybe they didn't see the glory of the Lord shining, and they didn't know the light that they were supposed to follow. They just knew the place. They didn't know the exact time. Although Daniel, if they had spent any time reading this book, they would get some idea of a range of when he might be born. When the wise men come and say, we saw his star and we're headed for them. And then the king says, where is it supposed to be that he's going to be born? And they say, oh yeah, right, just see right over there. The wise men say, we're going to go. And off they go to see him. And the chief priests and the scribes are like, see ya. Let us know how that turns out. Why didn't they go? Even after the wise men come and say, it's happened, and they were like, oh, we know. Well, we know the time. Well, we know the place. Let's go together. Two great tastes in one. (laughs) Peanut butter and chocolate together. Is there anybody older than me here? Couple, yeah. Do you remember a commercial for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups a long time ago where you've got like one guy walking down the street with his chocolate bar and then the other person walking around with the jar of peanut butter and they crash into each other and the chocolate goes in and like, you got your chocolate on my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter on my chocolate. What, who walks around with an open jar of peanut butter as a snack? Is that just Bill? Why didn't they go? They now had the information. He, it has happened. This is where it's happened. And it's just down the road. The wise men are going. They don't even have to go by themselves. The wise men are going. They don't go. They're so wrapped up in what they've got going on, they don't even care. They're so indifferent to the fact that the foretold king, who would be the deliverer of the Jews, has been born six miles down the road at that time. They're so wrapped up in what they've got going on, they don't even bother to go. It's hard to understand. So they said to him, oh, they gave him the prophecy, and they said, oh, it's right down there, six miles away. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure, Herod, the great, the great. <clears throat> and when they heard the king, they departed. You know, it doesn't actually said they agreed to do it. <laughs> they were like, uh-huh, okay, goodbye. Just, we're out of here. We can see, you're, we've heard stories of you, crazy king. Um, it says, they left, and behold, the star which had see, they'd seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over the young, where the young child was. They come out. Guess what? The glory of the Lord is shining once again to help direct them to the house where the child was. 
what star does that? <laughs> what star goes, shines, disappears, comes back, and, and then directs them where to go? And here's the thing. Have you ever gone outside on a, like a really starry night here? You know, sometimes you can, you know, if you're up that late, I don't know. Uh, if you go outside and you see a really bright star, and like the, pick out the brightest star you can, and you're standing like right there, do you, would you be able to know which house it's indicating from there down here, which house you're supposed to go to? Would you be able to do that even, even if it was super bright? You'd be like, ah, clearly it's uh, you know, house number you know, 1490. I don't think so. This actually says that the light came and it stood over. It actually means on top of the house where Jesus was, the supernatural light, the glory of the Lord shining on the house. You can probably picture like all the other houses are dark and this one is just like lit up. And they're like, oh, I'll bet it's that one. <laughs> because look at what it says. When they saw the star, they rejoiced greatly with great joy. Why? Because they hadn't seen it since the day that he was, his birth was announced. And they're like, there's the star. Now we know where to go. Had we known that, we would never have gone to Jerusalem. But there was a purpose in that. And when they had come into the house, not the manger, they saw the young child, not the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. First thing they do, they worship. That was why they came. First thing they do, they worship him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, common practice. Bringing out their treasures and laying them out before them. Um, not you get gold, you get frankincense, you get myrrh. As we often predict or show it in pictures. I know it's sad. Should we just take a moment and just release it? <laughs> Let it go. Let that go. <laughs> then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Uh, you know, you notice it says, when the wise men had departed, Joseph got a message from an angel that said, you need to get out of here, right? Not, you need to go first and dedicate Jesus after the 40 days of purification of Mary. He said, you need to go. Again, further kind of evidence that they weren't there on the night of his birth, but much, much later. He says, and the angel comes, and this is, you know, we're going to see Gabriel just working like overtime. I think it's Gabriel, you know, it's probably Gabriel. Just like, and, and here's the thing. This is what we see now. We see Joseph, we're going to see it a couple of times here. The angel comes to Joseph. He doesn't even question anymore. He comes, the angel says, uh, Joseph, um, the king is going to want to kill Jesus, so you need to get up and go. And so Joseph now, he just says, come on, everybody, we've got to go to Egypt and, and just pick up everything you can and go. And they just go. Now he's become so accustomed to hearing the voice of the Lord that he just obeys. So good. It says, and when then they departed, behold, okay, it says, when he arose, he took his young child and his mother by night and departed in Egypt 
Why Egypt? Do you know why they went to Egypt? Have you ever thought, have you ever asked yourself, why'd they go to Egypt? Uh, there's, there's actually some really good reasons. Number one, it was close by, but it was far enough. It was outside of Herod's jurisdiction. So they could go to Egypt and be outside of the jurisdiction of Herod. So he couldn't actually touch them if they went into Egypt. Also, by this time, there was a large population of Jews in Egypt, up to a million people living in Egypt at this time. So it wasn't like they were going completely living in a foreign country all on their own. There was a large community already living in Egypt of Jews. And so they went there. But probably the most important is that it fulfilled prophecy. Matthew's going to point this out in verse 15. He's going to say, and there they were until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Remember, this is Matthew's phrase to remind them that he is the one who was prophesied of, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I call my son. You know what's really uh, so cool here is this is what we see. Before the wise men come, Joseph and Mary, poor. They didn't have any place to stay when they got there. When Jesus was born, they went to the temple and made an offering, which was two turtle doves, which meant that they didn't have money to buy a lamb. Now, Jesus, uh, now the, the angel comes and says, God says that you need to pick up everything you own here and you need to move to Egypt where you will need to live until Herod dies for your own safety. Um, how expensive is moving, honestly, even back then, right? What did God do? He provided for them. After the wise men had left, what did they have? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They had these resources that God had said, I am going to call you out, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to provide for you the means that you're going to need to be able to do that. Do you trust God to do that in your life as well? Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. Trust in that. Trust in it. Joseph said, okay, now we have the resources to go and live in Egypt. So how long were they in Egypt? They had to stay there until Herod died. You know how long they were there? I don't know. <laughs> Four months, three years, could have been anything around that time. We know kind of when Herod died. Um, and so we can, we can kind of say, well, you know, if, if they came back right after he died, then it was probably only four or five months. But if they, it was just some time after his death, it could have been a few years. Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. If Jesus had just been born, why would he say two years old and down? He would not have. According to what he figured out from the wise men, Jesus could have been two years old or younger. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah and the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are, there are no more. How awful. How awful that this king, in order to take care of what he perceived to be a threat against his throne, would decide that it was more important for him to be king than for these children to live beyond two years old. And so he sent for them all to be killed, just to be safe, kill every, all, every child from two years old and younger. 
You know, and I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of another story in the Bible. And maybe some of this, maybe some of you thought this as well. Do you remember the story of Moses? See, at the time of Moses' birth, there was a pharaoh king who looked out over the landscape and said, look at all these Jews. There's more of them than there are of us. You know, we need to stop this or else they're going to grow so big that they'll take over. And I won't be in the power anymore. So let's enslave them. And so it says that they were, they were able to overcome them and enslave them and make the Jews their slaves. But it backfired because rather than curtailing the population growth, it exploded. I guess, no. <laughs> it just did. Let's just leave it at that. So then he thought, this is not working. This is what we need to do. I'm going to tell the, the, the midwives that when they're giving birth to helping these Jewish women give birth, that they're, when the baby is born, they're supposed to kill the baby. And the midwives were like, oh, can't do that. We're not going to do that. That says that they feared God. And so um, when the king called them in and said, uh, excuse me, but why are all these Israelite women still having babies? And the midwives were like, we just can't get there quick enough. We get there and they've already popped that baby out and they're on their way. So then Pharaoh makes a decree to all the Egyptian people and he says to the people, go out and take all the children, all the newborns, throw them into the river. He was so threatened, his reign, his power, was, he felt so threatened that his only course of action and best course of action was to kill all the newborn babies. Herod's reign is so threatened that his uh, best course of action he feels is to kill all of the children two years old and younger. And I just thought about that, and I thought sometimes and often from tragedy comes deliverance from bondage. You see, when, when, when Pharaoh had all the children killed, who came out of that? Moses, the deliverer of bondage. Herod, now threatened, has the two-year-olds and younger killed, and who comes out of that? Jesus, the deliverer from bondage. Sometimes and often from tragedy comes deliverance from bondage. Maybe you have experienced some tragedy in your life and it's brought you to the place that you're so low that God says, now I can work with you. Now it's right. Now all your defenses are down. Now you're no longer resisting me. I can work with you now. I can work with that. God also spends an enormous amount of time showing us that he is trustworthy and loving and compassionate and righteous and just so that when we come to a place where we say, how could God do this? He says, you don't have to understand. You just have to trust me. Do you trust him? Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. You know, it must just be like Joseph's there and like the angel's like, Joseph. Joseph's like, oh, hey, Gabriel, what now? Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And then he arose and he took the child and his mother and he came to the land of Israel. And when they had heard that Archelaus 
was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned in aside to the region of Galilee, and there came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called the Nazarene. You see what happens is, is the angel comes and says, okay, you go back in. And they get in there, and along the way, God says, oh, well, you know what? Herod's son, who's not as bad as Herod the Great, but he's not great either, um, he's in power, so don't go this way. Go over to Nazareth. Now, you know, that's where they were from, if you recall. They were from Nazareth. How hard would it have been for them to return to Nazareth? Do you understand what had happened? Mary, Joseph's betrothed wife, the woman that he was supposed to marry, who no one had supposed to have been with uh, physically, had been found to be pregnant. They left. You know, when, when the census happened and, and Joseph had to go to be counted, he had to go to Bethlehem to be counted in the census, it wasn't necessary for Mary to go with him, especially as a pregnant woman. But she chose to go. Why do you think she chose to go? How hard was it for Mary in Nazareth right now that she was pregnant out of wedlock? She was ridiculed and scorned, I'm sure. So she goes, I'm going with you, Joseph. I got to get out of here. Now God says, go to Nazareth. How hard would that have been to do? Lord, are you sure? Because do you remember? That's where, that, that's where everyone hates us because Mary was pregnant and I, I married her anyway even though that's not what you do and what kind of a business am I going to have in Nazareth? I'm a carpenter. Who's going to hire a carpenter who has a woman who got married out of wedlock, who has a bastard son? Who's going to hire me? How hard, how much of a sacrifice was it for them to be obedient to God and still go there? Lord, I don't know how to do that. It's hard. It seems hard, Lord. Are you sure that's what you want me to do? Isn't there an easier way to get your will done? Why did he send them back to Nazareth? To fulfill prophecy. It was greater than them. It was greater than Joseph's embarrassment. It was greater than Mary's um, being scorned by the other women in town. God's plan was greater than them. They were a part of it, but it was bigger than them, as is with you, gang. You're a part of God's plan. God has a wonderful plan for your life. You hear that? You know what it is? Be a part of his plan. That's the wonderful part, to be a part of his plan. But the plan is bigger than you. You're a part of it. That's amazing. The fact that we are even a part of it is amazing. They were so obedient to say, we'll go back. This is going to be hard. It's going to be hard for us to go back to this town where everyone, you know, is going to make fun of us and ridicule us. We'll go back because you've told us to go back. Because it is going to fulfill prophecy that he shall be called a Nazarene. Again, Matthew points out fulfilled prophecy of Jesus, pointing to the fact that he was the prophesied king, redeemer, deliverer, Messiah. Interesting thing here. In just chapters one and two, this is what I see. These are the prophecies. Born of a virgin, called God with us. Born in Bethlehem, brought out of Egypt, I will call my son. Weeping mothers for the lost children shall be called a Nazarene. Six fulfilled prophecies, and he's like two. Two. 
Remember we talked about the probability of an adult man fulfilling just eight? He's already fulfilled six just by being born and getting to two years old. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, he just knew the prophecy, so he just fulfilled them so that he could be seen as the Messiah. Really? I'm going to be born. Not only am I going to force myself to be born, I'm going to force myself to be born in a foreign city where my parents are not from at a specific time to a woman who's a virgin, by the way. Who can make that happen? God. God can. What's impossible with men is possible with God. God can do that. (laughs) In this chapter, this is what we see. Three responses to the news of Jesus Christ. Three responses. The first one was Herod. Hostility. His response to the news of Jesus was hostility. His lifestyle was threatened. He hated Jesus because Jesus threatened his lifestyle. And so he tried to do away with him, put him away to kill him, to get rid of him, to cancel him. The chief priests and the scribes, theirs was indifference. They knew of his coming arrival. They knew that he was there. They knew the place. They knew all about it. But they were so wrapped up in what they had going on in their lives, they were completely indifferent to the fact that the King Messiah Deliverer had been born six miles down the road. They couldn't care less. And the Magi worship even at great cost to them. Which are you? What is your response to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your response, no, 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 no. I don't want that Jesus because he's going to ruin what I've got going on. I've got a plan. I've made lifestyle choices that I know that this Bible that you read doesn't agree with. I don't want it. In fact, get it away from me. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Maybe more likely you're that second one. You know what? I'm glad that you found what works for you. I'm really glad that you found something that works for you. That's just not my thing. I got my own thing going on. I'm on my career path is going like this. I've got plenty of friends. I, you know, I've got everything that I need. It's all good. I really don't need that Jesus thing. I'm, I'm just indifferent to the whole thing. Or when you hear this, are you called to worship him? I could tell you in my own life, I don't know that I ever had hostility towards Jesus, but I certainly was indifferent. I was at that place where I was like, eh, wait, I'm glad you've got some sense of God. I grew up in the church, by the way. I grew up in the church. We went all the time. I still was out there as a young adult being like, yeah, God's whatever you need God to be. God's a tree, he's a tree. I got my own thing with God going on. But then I was grabbed by God. And he was like, listen to me. And it changed my heart. I became a worshiper. A worshiper. So where are you? Are you a worshiper of God? So here's the challenge. If you are a worshiper of God, are you reading the word with the expectant excitement that changes your life so that people see a difference in your life? You're like, I don't know what's going on with this person, but their faith is crazy. 
Or are you so wrapped up in your day-to-day stuff that like, yeah, I've got a Bible. Yeah, I go to church, but I have got so much going on. You don't understand. I'm in line for this promotion or I'm just in, I'm in this new relationship or I've got this thing going on with my kids or whatever it is. Are you so wrapped up in your life that you just don't worship? Is that you? Do you find that? Maybe it's not every day. Maybe it's some days I'm good, but there are other days where I'm just mostly it's about me. Like if you're sitting here and you're feeling that, you're not alone. In fact, I'm standing there with you. Because there are days where I'm like, I work at the church and I'm still about, well, I got to get the rugs shampooed and, and uh, I've, gotta, you know, I've got these emails to return. And what have I done? I've forgotten to start my day by opening up the word of God. Now, that's not every day. But there are some days. There's some days that I am worshiping my day rather than my God. That's sin. You know what James says in chapter 4? He says, lament, weep over your sin. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. That means come and confess your sin before the Lord. And the word says that when you do that, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So this is, I'm going to do this for my own sake, but you're welcome to join me this morning in prayer and confession to say, Lord, forgive me for worshiping something other than you in my life. Let's pray about that right now. Lord God, I just thank you so much for this word today and for this time and this place. Lord, I pray and confess right now that there are days, Lord, that I am worshiping my day. I'm worshiping my future. I'm worshiping my situation and my circumstances, but I'm not worshiping you, Lord. Your word says that's idolatry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here also that is in this same situation, and frankly, I know there are, I pray that we would all together be praying and confessing this before God today so that we might leave this place today cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, going out here ready into the world to give a reason for the hope that we have of glory, Lord. I pray that if there's anybody here today that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ or is who's indifferent, who doesn't care either way, Lord, that you would break into their lives this morning and call them to worship. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone that's here today that doesn't know you but is, is sensing that need to leave here today as a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that they would pray this. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me, Lord. I believe that you died for me. Lord, I believe that I'm in need of a Savior. Please save me today. Lord, I believe it. I believe it, Lord. And Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me to live in a way that is honoring to you.